Today we'll be reading from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that, Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Disciples Church. It's great to see all of you this morning, and we are glad that you have joined us in worship. Uh, my name is Dave Hahn. I am actually one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is my privilege today to be able to open God's Word with and for you. So it's always a surprise when people hear this about me, and some of you may know it and some of you may not, but when I was a really young kid, so five, six, seven, and the years prior to that, I was super, super skinny. People laugh, right? Carol laughs. But I refused to eat as I should. I really don't remember that. I don't know why. But I do know that my parents took me to the doctor each week to get what they called liver shots. These shots were likely packed with nutrients and supplements that I was not getting otherwise. And I was even hospitalized once due to complications that came from my poor eating habits. Now I am sure that those doctors who took care of me would be thrilled to see how effective those shots have been and that I am doing just fine feeding myself today. Any parent would be rightly concerned about a child like me who refused to eat for long stretches of time. Alarm bells should go off in situations like that and maybe as it was in my case, Doctors need to get involved. How much more than, my friends, should we be concerned for a child of God who abstains from the word of God, our spiritual food, for long stretches of time? After all, Jesus said that the spiritual food that God gives is much more, much more important than physical food. At the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, as Abby read it for us, speaks to what we as children of God should be taking in to ourselves and then as a result, what should be coming out of us. As those being persecuted and suffering for their faith, the churches to which Peter wrote needed all the spiritual nutrition that they could get. But so do you and I. So do you and I if we intend to persevere in the midst of whatever trials and difficulties come our way. And if we expect to grow and mature as spiritual beings for eternity with God, our Father, we need spiritual nourishment. If we want to experience the fullness of God's blessings and his salvation, and grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus, his son, we need to dig deep, and we need to consume regularly the word of God. As we have talked about before, the Bible is filled with what we would call imperatives and indicatives. Almost everything in scripture is one of the two. 
And we remember that an indicative is connected to our identity in Christ. It has everything to do with who God is and what he has done. While an imperative is the outworking of that identity. It is an outworking of what God has accomplished. Verses 1 and 2 in the ESV are the indicatives within these three verses, while verse 3 of the passage today assumes our identity in and our relationship with Christ. That we have personally tasted his goodness. That is the imperative there. So today, for the sake of recognizing that imperatives follow indicatives and not the other way around, we are going to look at verse 3 before we look at verses 1 and 2, which in the ASV reads, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as we've often said at Disciples Church, our identity, whatever we believe that to be, is what drives our behavior. If we truly believe and if we truly understand who we are in Christ, that we are perfect and blameless and spotless, holy, righteous, completely forgiven, and fully alive sons and daughters of God, our behavior has to reflect those truths. They will reflect those truths. And where our behavior is not reflective of our identity in Christ, specifically our engagement in sin, we show ourselves to be experiencing what is essentially spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. Forgetting who we already are in Christ. No one who walks into a dog park is surprised to hear the sounds of dogs barking or to see balls or frisbees being chased. Unless, of course, it is not the dogs who are exhibiting these behaviors, but their owners. If it were the people doing those things inside of the confines of a dog park, it would be a right response to be alarmed, to leave that area and to call the proper authorities. But not so with the dogs. That's who dogs are. And that's what dogs do. In the same way, we ought not be surprised when unbelievers engage in sinful behavior and show little to no regard for God and no desire to turn from their sin and to run from God instead of running to him. But it should, my friends, surprise us when as sons and daughters of God in Christ, we find ourselves or our brothers and sisters in Christ chasing after sin and running from God because that is not who we are anymore. We are new creations in God, in Christ. Now, Dave, you're not saying we shouldn't struggle with sin, are you? I mean, because I still struggle with sin. Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. And no big surprise, I struggle with sin still 
alongside you. But why then? Why, if our identity is in Christ, do we struggle with sin? Well, biblically, we are given several significant reasons for our continued wrestle with sin, and each one is significant. First, sin, our old master, according to Romans, continues to follow us around and operate as though it still has power over us. It continues to bark orders at us and tries to get us to do, say, and think the things that we did before Christ saved us. Do you know that before you were in Christ, you were a slave to sin with no ability not to obey it? And if you are not in Christ in this room today, that is still who you are. Sin is your master, but not so if you are in Christ. In Christ, we are no longer under sin's control. We are under the power of the Spirit, and we serve a new master, and we are free to ignore sin's call to obey it. Christ's death on the cross for us means that the penalty for sin has been paid in full, and the power that it once had over us is no more. However, as long as we are alive in these bodies and that we are on this earth, we will still need to deal with sin's presence. Its penalty has been paid, its power has been stripped, but its presence remains. And that leads us to the second reason that we struggle with sin. In addition to sin striving to be our master, though it does not have that power, our flesh still craves sin. As Christ said to his disciples in Matthew 26, the spirit that we have been given as Christians is willing and able to resist sin and to obey Christ, but our flesh is weak. Our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Paul discusses the same idea in Romans 7, famously saying, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do those things. Does that sound like you too? Do you resemble those statements? So what's happening there, and what what hope do we have in the midst of the struggle? Well, let's jump to Romans 8 for some help. I'll read it for you. This is beginning in verse 1. This is on the heels of Paul saying, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. And verse 1 begins, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation left for you or for me. And why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Continuing in verse 2 of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life 
and peace. That, my friends, is the third reason that we struggle with sin as believers. We either do not know or we have forgotten who we are and what we have been given in Christ. And as such, our minds focus on the flesh and they refrain from focusing on what they should, or rather, who they should. The hope that we have in our continued struggle with sin is to remember afresh and to believe anew who we are in Christ. Identity drives everything. We remember who we are and remember what he has done on our behalf. Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that sin was condemned fully in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled the law's righteous demands in his body on our behalf. And why does that matter? So that we might not live according to the flesh, which leads to death, but according to the spirit, which leads to life. That, as we talked about last week, we would not live for that which Christ died for. And as those who are governed by the Spirit, as those who are indwelled by the Spirit and no longer ruled by the flesh, dead in sin, we are able to do that. Friends, when our hearts and our minds are set fully upon Christ and his spirit, sin loses its power and no fleshly desire can compare. Sin loses its power and all of the fleshly desires that we have seem weak by way of comparison when our eyes and our minds are on Christ. As Peter said it in verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Once you have tasted that the Lord is good, everything is different. To put it in practical and metaphorical terms, when we were slaves to sin and death, apart from Christ, all that we knew was stale saltine crackers and puddle water. That's all we knew. But in Christ, by way of comparison, we have been given the finest Cabernet Sauvignon and the most succulent New York strip or whatever your favorite meal is. And it stands to reason that once you have tasted a meal like that, your desire for salt teens and water is going to fade. Why would one go back to living like a slave on salt teens and water when you've been adopted as a child of the king and Cabernet Sauvignon and New York Strip and all your favorite stuff is plentiful. And therein lies the diagnostic question. Have you personally tasted the goodness of the Lord? So much so that all that this world offers no longer satisfies. Do you know who you are in Christ? So much so that you seek to ignore the continued calling of sin, your old master, and you seek to serve your new master with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. Is it Christ, my friends, who you most desire? And if not, is it he who you most want to desire?
you have to ask yourself those questions. When sin comes calling, my friends, taste again and again and again the goodness of the Lord by remembering who you are, whose blood has purchased you for himself and all that he has done for you. Why? So that you would no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God within you and be able to say unto sin, that is not who I am anymore. That is not who I am anymore. But when we struggle with sin, and we will, we can find some comfort in knowing that we were certainly and are not alone. The churches that were written to in 1 Peter, the churches of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they struggled too. They struggled too. And for we who are in Christ, all that is true of them in Christ is true of you and I as well. Look again at verse 1. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The word so in verse 1 is basically just another way of saying therefore. At the end of chapter 1, Peter reminds his readers, and he reminds us that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, and he reminds us that even the most beautiful things in all of God's creation will fade and fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. That's the therefore. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God that unlike the grass and unlike the flowers does not fade and does not burn up, but remains forever. And it was this very word that was preached to them, Peter reminds them, and you and I of, and it was this very word that had transformed them and you and I. Transformed them from spiritual death to eternal life, from darkness to light, from being an enemy of God to being an adopted child of God. That is the power of the word of God by his spirit. It's what the word did in them, and it's what the word does in us if we know him. Friends, the word of God remains forever, and that means that it never loses its potency, and it never loses its relevancy. No culture, no people group, and no place in time has or ever will outlast or outsmart the word of God. And in view of our election, in view of our new birth, and in view of our living hope and his everlasting word, Peter tells the churches that he was writing to and he's telling you and I to put away malice. In view of those things, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. In the Bible translation called The Message, by Eugene Peterson, the phrase put away in verse 1 is translated clean house. What a great picture that translation gives. Clean house, right? We all have those moments in our own homes 
where we just get into throwaway crazy mode. Everything's gone. Just trashing it. So take hold, clean house of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and anything else that is not of God. All of those things, take them and clean it out. Get one of those dumpsters in your proverbial driveway if you need to, but dump it all. Leave it all behind. And my friends, recognize that God would not tell us to put those things away. He would not tell us to clean house unless those things were still present. And there are things within us, things like deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and things that come out of us, like malice and slander, that are not in keeping with our identity in Christ. Things within and things without. And those things within and those things without ultimately reveal that we have forgotten who we are and we are essentially chasing frisbees in a dog park. Stop doing evil unto others. Stop lying about who you are and about others. And stop wishing you were someone else. That's the summarization of those five words. Friends, there, there is no greater identity and there is no greater position in life than to be a child of the king of kings. To receive as an inheritance all that he has made. And if you are in Christ, hear me, that is who you are. Speaking of children, verse two says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So not only are we to put away what does not belong, we are to long for that which does. I remember when Seth, our son, was born that one of the things that Sheila needed to be instructed in, as all new moms do, is breastfeeding. Hospitals now have specialists who come in and they talk to moms about positioning and other helpful details that are not intended for deep discussion in such a setting as this. <laughs> now certainly, some moms and babies take to this feeding miracle. It really is a miracle easier than others. But one thing is certain in every case. Babies long for the food they receive. They are eager for the food they receive. And where they cannot get it, they are all kinds of frustrated. All kinds of frustrated. Now, whether you have experienced this yourself or whether you know it to be true anecdotally, we can all understand, I think, what Peter is getting at by using this metaphor. We have all heard and we have seen the fussiness found in a hungry baby. Hungry adults, for what it's worth, can be just as difficult, but it looks different. But, here's the point. When things are as they should be, you don't have to tell a baby to desire milk. When things are as they should be, you don't have to tell a baby to desire milk, and they will reject everything else. 
And so it is with a healthy Christian. And so it is with a healthy Christian. Healthy Christians crave the word of God, what Peter calls pure spiritual milk. And where they do not, be assured something is wrong. Something is wrong. Peter uses the phrase long for in verse two, but it's also translated as crave and desire. But regardless of the translation, we need to understand what he was trying to communicate. Peter didn't instruct his readers to read the word. He didn't instruct them to study the word or to teach the word, but he certainly could have. Rather, he intentionally used a word that gets at the heart of man. Peter understood that reading, studying, and teaching God's word begins with a strong desire for it. You will not read it, you will not study it, and you will not teach it if you do not first have a strong desire for it. And the word that he's using here is often used in the Old Testament when describing man's longest and deepest desires for God. Think about Psalm 42, if you're familiar with it, where David famously says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Both Peter and David are speaking of an intense, almost painful need That, my friends, is how you and I are to feel about God and his word, to pant for it. But is that where you and I are today? Is that where we are? Like the deer pants for water, do we pant for God and his word? Like the psalmist, is the word of God like honey to our lips upon which we meditate day and night? Like Job, do we treasure the words of God more than food? Is God's word a delight to us? Not only to read and to hear, but to obey. So part of my salvation story is that I was very confused about the very traditions of Christian denominations. It confused the heck out of me. And my good friend and roommate, when I was talking to him about this, encouraged me to go directly to the word of God with my questions. He's like, dude, just open up the Bible and find your answers there. That's almost verbatim. Don't rely so much upon the traditions of man or their so-called expertise. And nearly 30 years ago, that is exactly what I did. And that pursuit and that discipline continues to mark my life today. If it is not explicitly in or from the word of God, I really don't have much use for it. That friend and that roommate of mine, curiously, to this day, is not a believer. But God used him in a powerful way, and I am so grateful that he did. Through my buddy, God sparked in me a desire for the pure spiritual milk that is his word. What else do we have to stand on? But if I'm honest with you, I don't know, as I was writing this message this week, I don't know that I long for and that I crave or desire or pant for the word of God as I should. I don't know that I do that, but I really want to. Do you? 
Do you? I praise God for his grace in giving me the desire that I do have, asking and trusting him to increase its intensity. Do you do the same? My friends, honestly, I, I think man's lack of desire for and failure to take in and obey God's word is the biggest reason we find our world, our individual lives, and our churches in such disarray. And as such, it's no surprise that we find believers in churches in need of hospitalization due to their lack of spiritual food and nourishment. Friends, if we refuse to intensely feed on God's word, we should expect spiritual sickness in our own lives and in our churches. But to the degree that we pant and crave and desire and long for God in his word, Peter tells us that we will grow up and mature into salvation. Listen to verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes to the believers in Corinth and he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Friends, the trajectory of a newborn child is that milk is introduced to him or her to establish a good and a solid foundation. And then, eventually, the child moves past milk alone and graduates to solid food. And so it is and ought be with a born-again child of God. The fact is, human mothers do not give birth to full-grown men and women. Thank God, right, women? And in the same way, the Spirit of God does not give birth to fully mature children of God. We are babes in Christ when we are born again. We are babes in Christ when we're born again. And it is in our dependence upon God himself that we both come to Christ and remain in Christ. We come to him in dependence and we remain in him in dependence. Jesus often used children as one of earth's greatest examples of how we are to come to Christ. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So although we are born again as babes in Christ, we never, ever, ever move past needing God and his word. Never. Just as a child, though they mature, will always need their parents, whether they realize it or not. Friends, in our self-perceived wisdom and in our spiritual adolescence, do we falsely believe that we can move past the Bible? That we can make decisions for ourselves and see ourselves as independent of and actually more wise than God in certain things? My friends, in Christ, we never move out on our own. We never move out on our own. 
We never become independent of God, left to our own desires and decisions. No matter how wise we are, no matter how old we get, no matter how mature we are on earth, spiritually speaking, we must remain trusting and dependent children of God. And according to verse 2 of 1 Peter, if we continue to abide in him, trust in him, and depend upon him in and through his word, we will also mature in the salvation that he has provided until the day that we ultimately will and do reach our full maturity in heaven with him. As one commentator said it, the most advanced among us in knowledge and attainment are in comparison with what we shall be only as babes. By way of comparison, we are babes no matter how mature, no matter how much we believe we've attained spiritually. My friend, salvation is a process that God has begun and it is a process that he is faithful to complete unto those that he has called. And it is through the spiritual food that he provides in his word, by his spirit, that we grow. It does not happen any other way. You will not mature and grow into salvation outside of feeding upon the word of God. And where we do not feed upon the word, we should expect spiritual sickness and emaciation. The Gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John goes on to say in verses 10 through 13, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God born of the Spirit, born again. And then the prologue finishes this way. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John, as he began his gospel, decided to personify the word of God to personify the word of God, to describe the word as a who rather than a what, ultimately revealing that the word of God is synonymous with Jesus Christ himself. In that, all of scripture is from him and all of scripture is about him. And it lives even as he lives. Professor and author Wayne Grudem said it this way, to drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what Jesus is like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. Disciples Church, the word that John speaks of in his gospel has revealed sin to you. And that word has absorbed the penalty for those sins in love on your behalf. 
And three days later, that same word that is Christ rose again from the dead to give you new life in him, that you might be born again of God, eager to feed on the spiritual milk that he gives. So, where are you today? Have you been born again into the living hope that is Christ? And if not, do you want to be? Do you want to be? Salvation, my friends, is a gift of God that comes by grace and through faith. We do nothing to earn it. We simply receive it as the gift that it is. So unbeliever, ask God for that gift today. And if you have been born again, do you long for God and his word? And if not, do you want to long for it? If so, can I suggest some practical steps as we finish? If you find yourself struggling to desire for the word of God, would you confess your wickedness to God and your lack of desire for him and for his word? Begin there. And to confess simply means to agree with God. You're not telling him something that he doesn't know. And his forgiveness is not contingent upon it. He has already forgiven you because he already knew you would commit that sin. Then, upon that confession, thank him for forgiving you of that sin in full 2,000 years ago in the cross of Christ. And then finally, ask him to increase your desire for him and his word. He loves when we ask him for things like that. And he always says yes. He always says yes. And then start feeding on what he has given you in his word and work through whatever it is that's keeping you from it. So maybe that means picking a Bible translation that you can easily read and understand. Maybe that's what's keeping you from it. There are dozens of good Bible translations to choose from and Jonathan and I can help you think through what might be helpful for you if you come and talk to us. Second, maybe you need a reading schedule to go by that you have this huge book in front of you and you just don't quite even know where to start. There are reading schedules that are available for download online and found within Bible apps that you can download. Or maybe you just need to consider a new way to absorb God's word. That was a big thing for me. I found that listening to the word of God can be just as helpful and just as powerful as reading it, though I like to do both. Personally, I use a Bible app called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. It lets you choose your Bible translation. It lets you choose the voice that you want to listen to. It lets you choose the music that you may want as a background and how loud you want it or no music at all. And then it provides dozens and dozens and dozens of reading plans and playlists. You can listen to it in the car, which is where I like to listen to it oftentimes. You can listen to it at work or while you're on walks. Really, anywhere that your phone goes, you are able to absorb the Word of God. It does cost $30 a year, but my gosh, is it worth it. And you can start with a free seven-day trial, so don't let that keep it from you. But my friends, ultimately, you need to find time each day to be alone in the Word of God. Schedule it like you would anything else that's important to you. And if you need to, start small. Maybe just a few minutes, maybe just a couple of verses at a time, but then gradually increase that time as God gives you and increases a desire for it. Disciples Church, if you are a Christian, you have tasted what is good. You have been born into the kingdom of God and you are his beloved heir. 
So live accordingly and eat accordingly. Craving all that is pure, which is from him, and spitting out everything that is not. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you for our Lord Jesus, the living word of God. Because he is God, he was with you in and from the beginning. All that was made was made by him and for him. It is he that we are to partake of as our spiritual food. Of his body, he told us to take and eat. Of his blood, he told us to take and drink. In longing for your word, would you let us long for him? Let us eat and drink deep and often of that which is pure and good. For in your word, there is nothing impure and there is nothing evil. You alone are pure and you alone are good. Where evil and impurity is found in us, would you clean house and remind us afresh that we are children in your kingdom where those things just do not belong. Keep us, God, from living outside of our identity in Jesus and let us only hear and obey your voice, not the voice of sin or any other enemy that may call out to us. Father, by your spirit, we have been born again into a living hope. Would you keep us dependent upon you even as you grow us and sanctify us and mature us until that day that we reach the fullness of maturity in glory with you. Until that day, Lord, be thou our vision, now and always. In Christ's name and for his sake we pray, amen.